enjoy that. So we're starting off the new year with a reminder of why we're here at church. You may be here at church because someone said, get in the car, we're going. You may be here at church because you thought, well, I'm awake anyway, I might as well go. Maybe you're here at church because you've always come here and you love being here. You, make, you love seeing brothers and sisters, and those are all good reasons to be here. But what's our purpose? What's our purpose for being here, to be part of a local family of believers? What's our mission together? As individual believers, God calls us to love Him, to glorify Him, to show His love and glory to others as we fully enjoy His grace. We heard that in the scripture that Linda just read. If we don't know God's love, we're just doing this all out of fear. But when we know His love and His grace, then we're going to respond in love and grace to others as well. So as we make our resolutions for the new year, as I talked about before, I'd encourage you to put these at the top of the list so that whatever you do, you are bringing glory to God. As you're contemplating new ventures, new things to do, or things you want to improve, things you want to stop doing, will God be glorified as I do this? And we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit because glory is a word that we don't use all the time. What does it mean to glorify God? We'll, we'll talk more about that. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, you remember that? We heard it in Mark 12 a few chapters back. He summarized all of the law by quoting Deuteronomy. And he said, love God and love your neighbors. Because all of the law falls under, the, under these two categories. Our relationship with God Almighty, how we love Him, how we honor Him, obedience to Him, knowing Him, and then the people around us, loving the people around us. So how do we love God? How do we love others together as a church? It seems like it's an individual thing, but yet God calls us to be in a local church, to be part of a family, part of a body. How do we do that together? We base our church mission statement on three key scripture passages. If you like taking notes, today's note sheet is totally blank. It's just all lines, so you can write anything you want in there. You don't have to fill in my blanks. You can just jot down thoughts. Maybe you'll think of a resolution uh, as your mind wanders. That's okay, too. But you have that paper in your bulletin to write. Looking at Luke 10, 1 Thessalonians 4, and Matthew 28, those are the three primary places where we find our mission. And here it is. The mission of First Baptist Church is to develop missionary disciples who worship God, grow spiritually, and share the gospel and their spiritual gifts. That's what we want to do together. You can see that behind me. Worship, grow, and share. I just want to key in on those briefly because that's really why we're here together. The first one from Luke 10.27. He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. We are meant to worship God. Our lives are made to glorify God. That means to show people what He's like, 
to put him on display. When we say we want glory to go to God, it's don't look at me, look at God and what he's done to me, how he's changed me. We recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we love God by glorifying him through obedience, by showing what Jesus is like in our words and actions. When we're called to be Christians, that means we're little Christs. We're followers of Jesus Christ. We're his disciples. And we're meant to model our lives after him. That's what Jesus' disciples did as they knew him and lived with him for three years. They were learning how to do life. How do I handle difficult people? How do I handle problems when I don't have enough to eat? What happens when this happens? How do I respond in a way that would please God? They modeled their lives by becoming his disciples. And that's what we're called to do as a church, to make disciples who are followers of Jesus Christ. Our next one, uh, we have a passage in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, and then I added Ephesians 4.13. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he adds that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's an outward example of your sanctification, but sanctification means becoming holy, becoming like Christ. And then in Ephesians 4.13, he said, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Or today we would say personhood because the word man is kind of dropped out of our language, but all people, right? Humanity, to become mature people to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Who's our model? Jesus Christ. We want to be filled and full of Jesus Christ. As we grow, we're developing disciples. We're helping people grow spiritually and into maturity as believers. And we love each other as we mature to become more like Jesus Christ. We help each disciple growing and maturing. And as a church, we do this through intentional fellowship, through intentional teaching of the word, by sharing, by encouraging one another, by saying, what's going on in your life? How can we help you? It's not nosiness, wanting to know everything that's going on, but it's, what's happening? Are you growing in Jesus Christ? How can we help? Being involved in each other's lives. And you can't do that sitting at home, alone. Those of you that are online, I'm glad you're here with us. Some of you are out of state. Some of you are there because of health problems. Some of you may be there because you're in a snowbound situation. Here in Dunkirk, we've got green grass, but there's a lot of reasons you might be watching online. But if you're doing it because you just haven't come to church yet, I would really encourage you to come out because that's how we get to rub shoulders. That's how we get to encourage each other, to know each other, and help each other grow. And finally, the last one is share. We have the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then an additional verse in Ephesians, rather speaking the truth in love, 
we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part of it is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's two components to share. First of all, as believers, we're called to share the good news. I've heard this example a long time ago, and maybe you've heard it. If you knew the cure to muscular dystrophy, if you had the cure to a form of cancer, would you keep it to yourself or would you share it with all the people that need it? We have the cure to spiritual death. People that don't know God, people that don't have eternal life, and we need to share that good news. Jesus said, go into all the world and share the good news, share the gospel, and develop disciples. Help them become followers of me. And then we're also called to share our spiritual gifts, the things that we've been equipped to do as part of the body. And that's the Ephesians passage. Each one of us is a unique member with unique gifts, talents, and abilities, personalities. All of those things mesh together so that we can encourage one another, so that we can reach other people in our community. Your personality is going to attract a certain group of people. Each of us are going to have different groups of friends. We're going to have different places where we work. We all live in different neighborhoods or different parts of the countryside. And we have circles of people around us that we're uniquely able to reach. If you've noticed, not all of Dunkirk and Chautauqua County is here in the room with us today, right? We're just a cross sample of people from all different places. So we're called to share the gospel. And then as we gather together to share what God has given us with other people so that we can grow together. So our series over the next three weeks as we start this new year, looking more closely at how we put all of this into action, God calls us to love. So instead of saying worship, grow, and share, I'm saying love God, love each other, and love our community. You see how those match up with worship, grow, and share? Love God, love each other, and love our community. Today we're going to dive into loving God. And let me remind you of one of the verses that Linda read for us earlier in 1 John uh, chapter 4. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Have you come to know and believe that love? Do you recognize how much God loves you? God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. If you've been around church for a while, you may have heard this, not necessarily from a preacher or someone in church, but you may have heard people talk about God having like two unique characteristics, two, two character types. The Old Testament God was a God of wrath, thunder and lightning and rumbling, and we see that in some of the judgments that happened. And then Jesus comes along in the New Testament, and it's all about love. And people say, well, that Old Testament God was mean and angry, and Jesus is all about love. Just love each other. Don't worry about being obedient. Don't worry about following the letter of the law. Just love each other. Is that true? No, there is one God. 
And throughout Scripture, he reveals who he is. In the Old Testament, we see more of those judgments because he was working in a bigger scale. And then as he actually came to earth in the form of the Son, Jesus Christ, he showed us what love looks like on a very personal level, from person to person, as he encouraged people, as he met people, and he saw their needs, saw their hurts, and said, God's love can fix that. But it's not just, I love you, man, kind of love. It's dying on a cross love. It's sacrificial love. That's how God loves people. So be careful that you don't put God into those same categories in your mind that Old Testament God is just angry and mad at everybody and New Testament God is just loving. He's the same God. He is just and he will always judge sin. But he's also loving and gives us salvation. He gives us redemption. He gives us forgiveness. And that was through his son, Jesus Christ. There are a number of Old Testament passages that if you start looking for them, you see it talking about God's love. So that picture of God just being angry is, is really not true. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel, listen. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the passage that Jesus quoted when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. And then later, or in that passage, he goes on to say in verses 4 and 5, listen to those. Do I have that there, Elena? I don't. Then I'm going to read them for you. Those are the ones I just read. Sorry, bad notes. <laughs> Be sure you teach God's word. Be sure you teach his commandments to your children. Talk about them all day long. From the time you rise up in the morning to the time you're going to bed at night, God should be on your lips. We don't teach our children about God for 45 minutes on Sunday mornings. That's not enough. You should be living your faith in front of them every day. When you answer your phone, when you go to work, when you deal with difficult neighbors, all of those things are ways to show your faith in action. As they talk about their day and they share with you, you talk about how God was a part of their day. When they're afraid of things at night, don't promise them you'll always keep them safe. Can you do that? Can you always keep your kids safe? We can't. But you can promise them God is always with them and he'll never leave them. They can always pray and talk to him. So in our lives, we incorporate our faith. We talk about it all the time. To love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, that means loving God in spirit and in action the way you live. Let's talk about the biblical definition of love. First of all, it's unconditional. Unconditional. There's no strings attached. There are no expectations. There are no demands. If you do this for me, 
I will love you. Have you had a parent do that to you? Or maybe your boss or, or someone else in your life? As long as you're doing exactly what they say, you're loved and you're praised. But as soon as you're off that system, as soon as you're not doing what you're supposed to, it seems like the love is gone. It seems like you're no longer cared for. God's love and what he calls us to do is to love people without conditions, with no demands, with no strings attached. So as I love God, it's that same way. It's not I'm loving you, God, as long as things are going great. It's not God, answer my prayers and then I'll love you. You've heard of those foxhole prayers. God, if you just get me out of here, I'm going to do this and that for you and I'll do anything you want, but just take care of me and do what I want right now. Who am I to say that to God? We can pray for help, but we shouldn't be in the business of making deals with God. We should obey him because that is the way we show love. If he answers your prayer favorably, maybe you're praying for a loved one who's sick. Maybe it's you. Maybe you've been struggling with illness and it's just gone on and on and on. And when God doesn't answer that prayer the way you wanted it to go, you give up on God. I've heard that from so many people and it, it just hurts my heart because of their hurt. I just, I don't go to church anymore. I prayed and I prayed and God didn't do what I wanted. Again, who are we to tell God what's the right thing to do? Yes, we want our loved ones around as long as possible. But for them, are they better off in heaven if that's where they're headed? Are they better with God for eternity than here on earth suffering? That's for God to decide. So we can pray, we can ask God those things, but if we really believe that he is good, if we really believe that he is sovereign and in control of everything, we can rest in him and saying, this hurts God, but I believe that you did what is right, what is best. Choose to love God fully and unconditionally. Another way that we look at biblical love is it's doing what's best for the other person. We love God by bringing him praise and glory. He deserves that. By telling of his greatness instead of taking credit for things that are going well. A new promotion, beautiful kids, whatever's happening in your life, if you take the praise instead of God, you're not bringing him glory. You're not giving him the honor. Or on the other side, attributing all the bad things to him. We still hear this on the news. When there's a terrible storm, it's an act of God, right? A tornado, a typhoon. When we have a beautiful day, do we ever say, I'm sorry, I can't come in today. There's an act of God. That would be nice, right? Wouldn't you rather have a beautiful day off than being stuck at home in the snow? But we, we seem to do that as people, right? We, we say God is doing all these big, terrible things. Sometimes it's the consequences of my decisions. Sometimes I'm suffering a bad choice that I made, and that bad thing has happened. Other times it's just the effects of sin on the world. Death, illness, storms, disease, all of those things are happening because we live in a world that chose to go its own way instead of choosing to continue to follow God. 
So we experience some of those things. Another description of biblical love is that it's an action. Love is an action. It's not a squishy feeling in your stomach or in your heart. Love for God, according to Jesus, is actively obeying God. If you say you love God, but you fail to keep his commandments, you don't love him. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. How do you show people that you love Jesus? It's not by wearing a shirt that says, I love Jesus, or putting it on your bumper. It's by loving him through obedience, living your life the way he told us to. Who better than God himself then to say, this is how you should live your life. He's the one that created you. He's the one that knows you intimately. How do you show your parents that you love them? When you're a kid, it's by obedience, right? Mom, dad, I believe that what you're telling me is the right thing to do. I'm going to obey you. And as we get a little bit older and we're more independent, we show love to them by honoring them. Just as we're called to honor our Heavenly Father to think highly of them, to talk well of them. The benefit of loving God, according to John 14, 23, is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will come and make their home with you. The word in Scripture is, He will abide with you. They're going to set up house in your life. You're never going to be alone. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there as our guide. Jesus promised to never leave us or forsake us. These are powerful truths. And as a lover of Jesus Christ, as a disciple, you're never alone. If you're taking notes, you can jot down Psalm 139 as a good verse to read, as an encouragement that God knows you intimately. And there's nowhere that you can go that you're not going to find him, that he won't be there with you. You're never alone. When you're in that difficult place, when it's the middle of the night and you feel like no one else knows or cares what's going on, pull out Psalm 139 and read that prayer. God knows me. He cares about me, and he's never going to leave me alone. Another place in the Old Testament that just came up this week is in the book of Habakkuk. That's a minor prophet. I've never preached the book of Habakkuk. I've read it several times. How many of you know where to find Habakkuk in your Old Testament? It's near the end of the Old Testament because it's a minor prophet. doesn't mean that his message was small, but it means it was shorter than the others. Isaiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they were major prophets. They had big messages The minor prophets had shorter messages, but they were still inspired by God. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zephaniah, writing at the same time of them, probably during the reign of Jehoiakim, one of the kings of Israel. And like Jonah, he's complaining about wickedness not being punished. We're going to talk about Jonah maybe later in this year. He is self-righteous and saying, God, there's all of this bad stuff going around. Why aren't you wiping these people out? God, I want you to blast them. Why are they getting away with this? 
And so he's complaining about his own people, about Israel, saying they're wicked and you should judge them. And God ensures Habakkuk that judgment is in fact coming. Don't worry, Habakkuk. All sin will be judged. This sin will be judged in front of you. There's people that are going to come in and take them over again. We're going to see that. But then Habakkuk ends this short book in chapter 3 with encouragement to keep loving God, especially when things are not going the way we hoped. Habakkuk 2.4 says, The righteous live by hope. Does that sound familiar? Paul repeats that in Romans 1 and again in Galatians 3. And in the faith chapter that Frank shared with the adult class last month, we saw over and over again that faith, believing and trusting in God, is what saves people. It's not by following a set of rules. It's not by towing the line. It's not by being perfect that God would accept you. It's by faith in what he said. And what did God say would save us? Only the Redeemer, only the Messiah. So those Old Testament saints were looking forward to the Messiah who would save them. And everyone after Christ and that includes us, looks to Jesus and say, there was the Messiah, the Son of God, died on the cross, paid the price for our sin, and he alone can save us by believing in him, trusting in him. And then God says, if you love me, if you believe in me, you'll follow my commandments. That's just a natural response of being my disciple. It's not the other way around. It's not clean up your act first, then God will accept you because none of us can do that. We can never get clean enough to be acceptable to God. He said, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. God calls us to trust in his son, Jesus Christ. And then as we begin that relationship with him, we're obeying him, we're learning more about him, we're loving him as we obey him. It's only by that changed heart that we really can obey him. Then in Habakkuk 2.14, it says, God's glory will spread across the earth just as the waters cover the seas. We can be part of bringing God glory in our everyday lives. When we show people what God is like, when we shine his light, his character traits of love, justice, compassion, peace, long-suffering, patience, understanding, generosity, faithfulness, goodness. Any of those things sound familiar? Where do we find them? They're the fruits of the Spirit. They're the outcome of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. We show people what God is like. And His glory is going to go to the ends of the earth, just like the water covers the sea. From one end of the globe to the other, God's glory will be proclaimed. The question is, are you going to be one of those proclaimers? Are you going to be one that's pointing people to God? As we love Him, as we worship Him, we live lives that point to Him instead of ourselves. So listen to this in conclusion. The end of 
Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. I think I do have those up on the screen. So it's written there in, in crazy form, which looks, yeah, it's back there. It's all there, but it's just artfully done. I'll read the actual verses for you. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. See if I can find it. It's right before Zephaniah. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Habakkuk is listing a whole bunch of what-ifs or even those. Do you ever find yourself doing that? As soon as one bad thing happens, well, what if that happens? And what if that happens? We've started with one possibility and we've gone on top of it, on top of it, on top of it, until we have a string of horrible things that may never happen. But we keep thinking, well, what if, what if, what if? Maybe you're not making the list on paper, but your mind just starts racing to these worst-case scenarios. Jesus said, don't worry. Bring all of your cares to me because I love you. I care for you. Don't keep thinking about all these what-ifs and even those. Come to me with them. So Habakkuk says, well, what if there's no figs? What if the olive harvest fails? What if the crops in the field die? What if the animal herd is cut off and we lose absolutely everything? What then? Can I still trust God? Can I still believe His promises to be with me, to love me, to care for me, to provide for me? What if you get sick? What if you lose your job? What if you lose your house? What if, what if, what if, what if? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will find joy in the God of my salvation. God is my strength. He watches over my steps. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Find your joy in loving God. Thank Him for His faithfulness. Loving God is ascribing greatness to him. Listen to Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 and 4. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. How many of you remember singing that song, ascribe greatness to our God? Some of you might. When we sing songs of praise to God, we're ascribing greatness to Him. That's part of our corporate worship. And Mark leads us in that so beautifully. Joining our voices together as one, singing to the one who has made us, who knows us, who loves us, who saved us, and encourages us to keep going. When you hear other people singing that with you, we all are ascribing greatness to our God. We're remembering to keep our faith in Him, to trust Him, 
And that's part of our mission as we join together each week to praise God together, to hear his word preached, to hear it taught. And as Jesus said, teach them to know and obey all the things I've taught you. We dedicate Wednesday night to prayer and we pray in our Sunday morning services. We encourage you to pray at home, but we want to get together and pray together because we're lifting up our requests to God. We're praising Him, we're thanking Him, and we're saying, God, we need you. Those are all ways that you're encouraged and reminded. And as Frank said, if you can't make it out on Wednesday night, you can pick up the prayer sheet at the Welcome Center. We have extras there each week. We post it on our Facebook group page. And if you're on the prayer list, which is an email um, list, you'll get it emailed to you. You can find all those different ways of remembering to pray with your church family. Our time together as a church is to worship and love God. And we do that once or twice a week. But what about each day? You should be spending time with God to love Him and to worship Him on your own too, or as a family. This new year is a great time to say, I'm going to start a Bible reading plan. Let me challenge you, if you've never read through the whole Bible, you can do it from Genesis to Revelation. You can do it chronologically. You can do it by Old Testament, New Testament. You can do it any way you want, but to read God's Word for yourself, to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to illuminate and to point out verses to you and say, oh, that is what I needed to hear today. And you'll be so amazed that God brings his word to you when you need it. Make sure you find a devotional, if you use one, that's focused on God's word and not just someone's personal thoughts. It's got to be all about God's word. At our counseling cabinet over in the Welcome Center, you can find this little booklet, which is really short. It's not a whole year's worth, but it's called a Gospel Primer. And it looks like it's something written in the Puritan days, but it was just written uh, within the last 10 years, I think. This is an excerpt from his bigger book, but it's a reminder of the gospel. It's a reminder of who God is, who you are, why you need to be saved. And that's something that is so important that we start each day thinking, I need you, God. And without you, I wouldn't be alive. My next breath comes from you. I need you in my life. So this is something good that you can pick up on the church website. I have a link to this booklet, um, and you can find that as well. Especially if you're watching online, you can order that book for yourself if you can't find it. And the, the even bigger book, um, he goes further and writes it in a form of poetry, writing the, the gospel story. So you may enjoy using that as a devotional. In my brand new devotional from Paul Tripp that I just started today, I read Psalm 115, which starts with, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not to me, God. I don't want glory. I don't want people's praise. But to you and your great name, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, all glory, all love, all honor should go to God. So hopefully today, some of these scripture passages, some of the things that I shared with you 
encouraged you to grow more in your love for God. Your salvation is not a moment in time in the past that happened and you just forget about it. We need to remember each day that we need God, that we need Him changing us, transforming us to be more like His Son. And as we grow to know God and love Him more, I would encourage you for looking for ways to incorporate worship into your everyday life. Maybe that would be reading Scripture on your own or as a family, as a couple, spending some time in prayer, making sure you're bringing your worries to God instead of trying to tackle them on your own. How often do we do that? Start letting our minds go crazy instead of bringing it to God and saying, God, you've got this. Do you value your salvation? Do you consider what God has done for you on a regular basis? And then Sunday mornings, each of you that are here, good job. Do you make this a priority or is it just when it's convenient? Is it when nothing else is going on? So maybe I'll pop into church. Kind of like giving to God, giving back to God should be the first thing in our budget. Your time with the church family should be the beginning of your weekly time budget. It's not if there's any time left over, I'll go spend some time at church. It's that's where we're going to be Sunday morning. That's where we're going to be Sunday night at a growth group. That's where we're going to be in prayer. Whatever it is, say, let's make that a priority. Maybe you're willing to be more active in the worship service, reading scripture, doing announcements, getting involved musically. You can talk to Sarah. She's not here this morning, but you can talk to her next week or you can email uh, in the bulletin, it says info at dunkirkbaptist.org. You can send her a note and say, I'd like to be involved. How can I help? Jesus said the most important thing that you can do is love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. In our gospel treason class, Brad Bigney said, we're all made to worship God, but many people Choose to worship anything and everything but God. As believers, we need to make sure that God is the one we love most. He's the one that we go to first with our joy, with our pain, with our struggles. When we need something, we go to God because he loves you more than we could ever love him back. Mark's going to come and we're going to close in a song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we could start off this new year in your word, hearing from you how much you love us, that you sent your son to die in our place, that he rose again and is seated at your right hand now so that we could be redeemed, we could be forgiven, we could have eternal life. God, help us to love you more, help us to know you more and to bring all glory, praise, and honor to you and to you alone. You who fear the Lord, trust in him. He is your help and your protection. May the Lord give you increase to you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. In the incomparable name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.